Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. The idea of a CEO wanting to quit the rat race for life on the farm might seem like, well, something out of a sitcom. Just give me that countryside. But for Michael Turley, that's real life. He's now the fourth generation in his family to run Rolling Lawns Farm in Greenville, Illinois. And before he managed the 120 Holsteins there, he managed the St. Louis communications and marketing firm Osborne Barr as its CEO. He's here today to discuss that transition and how he's bringing a unique skill set to a longtime family business. Michael Turley, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Sarah. It's great to be here. We're also joined by Catherine Claney. She's the managing editor at Sauce Magazine, and she interviewed Michael for a piece in November's issue of Sauce. Catherine, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, for those of you listening, have you pivoted to a new career? What was the biggest challenge in your new life? You can call us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. So, Michael, for you, what made you decide to make this big switch to life on the farm? Well, it's always been part of my identity. I grew up on the farm in Illinois and... uh, was a, uh, an 18-year-old that decided to go to college, and I studied agriculture. But uh, my parents, because the agri was so difficult in the 80s, they, forced, they really forced me to go out and work for someone else to see what was out there, and, which was a blessing. So they really were the ones that, that pushed you not to do this first. Yeah, they had more of a vision about that than I ever did. I would have been right back mullet wearing, probably country redneck uh, on the farm and never leaving. It it was really who I was, and we all had a great time. Every country music song, we lived it, and uh, it was a a fun childhood. Yeah, but then you sort of took this this big uh, discursion into a completely different life, um, running this company in St. Louis. What made you decide, you know what, it's time to go back to my roots? I I think... Just uh, 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 several things, but one was the personal decision of what was going to happen to our family farm. Mm -hmm. So as a dairy farm, there are five to seven farms a day going out of business in the United States. Um, It's it's a just a very, very aggressive time of contraction in the dairy industry. Uh, our family farm, 120 cows, is small by today's standards, and we were under the same just pressure. Uh, it just wasn't cash flowing, and most dairy farms haven't cash flowed the last five years. So we had a business decision to make, and uh, you know everybody wants to know what your definition of sustainability is. Ours is me- really tied to our family farm, maintaining and growing that and leaving the place better than we found it. So it was really driven by what we needed to do. And you I wanted did, to save this family farm. We did. I just couldn't have the sale, mostly because of what my, the first three generations, I know the sweat equity they had into the place. And I just couldn't have that sale. And so then when you're looking at the, at the horizon, you have to decide what business model is going to uh, be viable in this very, very aggressive time uh, within the food industry mm-hmm. and uh, the commodity pressure that's uh, on really any any product. Catherine, as, as Michael um, mentioned there, those are some really sobering statistics about these dairy farms. What's driving this difficult period for that industry? It's a lot of different things. And, and um, you know, I've done some research on this and seen some news articles myself. A lot of it is, you know, there's a big agriculture buying up smaller farms, as, as Michael pointed out, um, forcing smaller ones out of the game. They can just produce more faster. Um, the cost of milk not rising despite the demand was one thing Michael and I spoke about in our interview 
you that I was not aware of that mm-hmm. that really um, I, I and you'll you have the the terminology better than I do, but um, the fact that milk is sort of stays at a low price because that's something that people will always come in and buy, and then they'll buy other things that are more expensive, and so that really you know the the cost isn't rising despite the demand. Um, and then also there's you know there's other things the rise of plant-based milks um, people really trying to to look at other alternatives um, so there's there's a lot of different factors that are coming into play um, but it is really putting the squeeze on small family farms yeah that's yeah, a great summary Catherine and um, the the surprising fact is the number fluid milk production and excuse me consumption by Americans has been in, in decline for 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. The number one beverage that's taken share away is water. Really? So people, yeah. we bring around our water bottles. Sure. Back in the day, people yeah. might have been drinking milk yeah. instead. Or it's the old, it's the classic family gathered around the Thanksgiving, everybody's got milk. And, and there's just a, you know, there's a tremendous amount of, of beverage options now, including the plant-based, which is a, 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 it's a threat to the commodity business. I don't consider it a threat at all. It's just a, it's just another player that some folks that are lactose intolerant, they may, or just their, some of their foundations. But if you got a good plan, then you don't have to worry about the, the competition too much. Well, so let's talk about that plan. I know you've now been on the farm for four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are you doing differently to try to work in this really difficult landscape? I, it, I, I read a business book about 12 years ago that really changed uh, a lot of my perspective. It's called Blue Ocean Strategy. And uh, it was it was based on a lot of research of companies that kind of went against the current and uh, broke out and were successful. So everyone would recognize Southwest Airlines as one of those. If they would have approached the airline model, much like all the competition that was in place, they never would have made it. Hmm. And uh, so it's it's creating new value to a market that will respond to that new value. So for the dairy industry, and we're by no means the first, there are, there are about 60 fluid small farms in the United States doing fluid milk. There's a lot of cheese, a lot of ice cream, a lot of yogurt. But when it comes to milk, it's a lot harder because it's grade A and you're under, subject to a lot of FDA uh, oversight, which it should be. But uh, we wanted to set our value on uh, a couple things. Uh, extraordinary animal care, uh, given in a time where people are concerned about it. To uh, just the the fact that we could work with chefs and become a chef preferred product, which there really wasn't anybody doing that certainly uh, in the St. Louis market, and we were blessed with such an amazing food scene that uh, that seemed like an obvious opportunity for us, hmm. and uh, that's what we kind of set up as our value, and then high quality. We- that was one of the things that when I when I was researching Michael, one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to him is I've, I cover a lot of dairy farms and small farms, and, and I've talked to a lot of people here in the St. Louis area. He's the only one I know doing fluid milk. A lot of the dairy farms that I cover do cheese or yogurt or ice cream or something like that. But he's his name kept popping up on all these menus that I was seeing around town, that Rolling Lawns Farm name. And I would go to a local grocery store like Local Harvest, and his milk was the only one that I was seeing. And I was like, how come he's doing this thing when no one else is? And I thought it was a really interesting business decision that comes with its pros and cons. But but I thought it was a really interesting move to kind of make yourself known as the milkman in St. Louis. And this idea of, of fluid milk, I'm still getting my, my hands around that term because <laughs> I have just thought of it as milk historically. But if you're doing um, the, the top care of your animals and, and putting in the, the top quality in the setting, um, how does that affect what what the milk is like? Does it affect the taste? I, I think it does. And um, I, I think, one, when, when we all ship our milk 
together and as the cooperatives have to and most folks do your milk's all mixed together so it's you get a composite flavor it's still high quality there's uh but it's just different when you segment and segregate your milk and you process only as we did uh late late yesterday and overnight this last night um it's the character and culture of Rolling Lawns Farm. It's the animal care. It's the fact that they've known my 77-year-old mother since day one of birth mm -hmm. uh, that uh, I think sets the tone. And I, so there is a, a definite uh, taste difference. But I could, I could uh, do that with some of my friends and neighbors that would do that. I, I always tell them, if we would just take your milk and process it separately, it would taste differently than when it's composite, you know, blended with everybody else's. It's just... I, I can't speak to a side-by-side uh, -side of every one of your products, but we did take some of his half-and-half and, half and compare it to just grocery store half-and-half half that we purchased at the office in our coffee, and yeah. there was a very big difference. There it was. was you could taste it. It was just richer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was fresher. It was richer. It had more flavor. Um, it was just... and they were labeled as half and half. That's all the, that's the only difference. It was just a very, yeah, you could tell. And I think yeah. the, the half and half was like less than 24, 48 hours old or something like that. It yeah. was very fresh. Yeah. We're talking to Michael Turley of Rolling Lawns Farm in Greenville, Illinois. Um, he's one of a very small number of dairy farmers who's selling milk outside of the big co-ops. We're also talking to Catherine Claney, who's the managing editor at Sauce Magazine and, and worked on a story about Michael. Michael, you mentioned the cost pressures on milk because this is something grocery stores just don't want to sell it for more than X amount. Um, how does the care that you give to your animals and the special work you put into your milk, how much are you able to charge for that? What will the market sustain? Um, most folks will just recognize uh, price price uh, segmentation by, uh, by, branded, by, by category. So mm -hmm. we're shooting for the organic price points. Okay. And are you able to hit that? Yes. And uh, we're just getting into retail. Our first year to year and a half was spent trying to earn the confidence of the of the chefs, the professionals, the top ice cream people, the top bakery folks, and the top baristas. And uh, once we felt like we had the product quality where it needed to be, tested by the best, then we felt like we could go into retail, which we're doing now. And so, we're, we're, gonna, we're pricing it aggressively. Okay. So do some name dropping for us. I know you have worked with some of the top restaurants here in St. Louis. Who's, who's bought your milk? Um, I'm, there's so many, and you want to include all of them. But uh, the first people that came out to the farm, uh, John and Mary Bogacki at Yolklore, Cindy Higgerson in Maplewood for Larder and Cupboard, uh, Max and Darla Krask from Isis Plain and Fancy. Uh, before Michael and Tara Galena ever opened Visia, they were on our farm. And so and you have them come to you. They want to visit the farm. They really walk the walk. It's so easy to talk it, but, uh, I mean, some pretty crummy days this time of year, these people are out there uh, because they, they want the relationship and they certainly want to understand the provenance of the food, which is the farm. And, Catherine, these are some of the top restaurants in town, some of the top chefs. Absolutely, and and it's it's people that, that I've talked to over the years that, that really um, – care about where their food comes from. And it's it's not just consumers that are taking an interest at it. It's, it's the chefs and the, the independent restaurateurs, too, that are really taking an interest in that. And and these guys come out. And, and you told me a great story about the the VCA team coming out and, and, like, milking a cow with you and just passing the milk around. Like, everybody's very concerned not only about where it comes from and if they're supporting small business, but also if they are, like, how that those animals are treated. Um, and it's, it's really cool to see such a 
wide variety of restaurateurs and chefs that I know really do care about this kind of stuff, making an effort to support a business like Michael's. We actually got a tweet just now from Chef Rob Connolly, um, who, of course, is the chef at Bull Rush. And he says, we love using rolling lawns at Bull Rush because of the trust that the animals are well-raised. And, of course, because that freshness translates into flavor. So even if people were skeptical after Catherine's talk of her blind taste test, uh, Rob Connolly has one of the best palates in town. He's vouching for your milk here. We'll be there this afternoon, chef. (laughs) (laughs) And, I mean, what does that say that? that a local chef, a very you know well-known local chef doing amazing things here in the city is taking the time to tweet out to us right now, like, hey, this is a great thing. I mean, it, it really speaks to the quality of the product and the endorsement of, of what he does and how he treats his animals. I think that's awesome. Michael Turley, um, on one hand, it's it's treating the animals so well. That underpins everything and, and the work you're doing on the farm. And yet, on the other hand, I imagine that your marketing background has really come in handy as you're having to have these conversations and to try to explain to people what you're doing. And has and uh, so you you just type as with any startup you look around and see what marketable assets you've got and I had a great just a great experience and career in marketing with some top-notch agribusiness companies and uh, so I put it to work and in a very commoditized uh, dairy market there's room for branded product especially locally have you learned anything um, in farming that you wish that you knew back um, in your days in the boardroom um, I think when we were representing large Fortune 500 companies on their social responsibility or public affairs stuff, uh, to get to understanding what we needed to do in terms of communicating with consumers faster. Um, When it gets to livestock, you just have to understand consumers just want the best for animals. Mm -hmm. And uh, what most of agriculture always struggles with is they want everybody to look at it from their lens as a producer. We're, as consumers, always going to apply our assessment on animal care to how we're taking care of the family dog. Uh, We want them to live as long. We want them to be as comfy. We want them to be as treated. And uh, so it's just understanding the perspective of consumers. And I I can, you know, I can get along with just about anybody. And I don't expect everybody to, you know, appreciate what we do or consume our products. But uh, just that insight Mm -hmm. and have an objectivity that uh, I think is so critical to get the big agricultural industry together with consumers. I think some of us might think about farming life as this idyllic, laid-back existence. You're walking along in the beautiful fields and, and patting the, the friendly farm animals. And yet, as, as you say, this is this very stressed industry. So I find myself wondering, which job is actually harder? Did you think being a CEO is harder or is running this farm even more complicated? It's the old... Uh, answer of this is this is harder but it's much more rewarding and with all due respect i love the agency business i love my coworkers. i love the creativity that people like that create and continue to and we need them to but uh, this is just way more rewarding we're out on our own and uh, it is it is really hard we just pulled an all-nighter uh, we had uh, we had production issues yesterday. I had to go to Indianapolis for a part. So mm-hmm. six hours of driving, six hours of repair time, Lincoln, uh, our plant manager. And um, by the time we got going, it was 8 o'clock last night. Uh, Lincoln wrapped. He's probably still there. He's going to be on about a 36-hour day. But wow. we're a small team. It's just a startup. And so we don't have lots of departments and, and shifts. It's, it's one team, and uh, that makes it fun. Catherine, um, I know you get to interview a lot of farmers and, and people who are sort of involved in work they feel passionate about, just like Michael here. What's your takeaway from his story? I 
I think what what I really like is is this notion of it's a startup, even though it's more than a century old. This farm, because really learning how to navigate, <clears throat> excuse me, navigate dairy farms like this moving forward in the 21st century, it's a completely. It's not about just how much milk can you produce and how much can you sell. It's really about building that brand identity and really connecting consumers with your product. We were talking about social media. I mean, the internet loves cute baby animals. We know this all. It's a universal fact. And one of the best things I've seen is is just these adorable, like, hey, we just had a calf. Like, a calf just appeared on the farm last night. Here's this cute baby calf. Like, that's a great way to connect your consumers and really build a relationship. Um, and just the idea that that pushing forward, what else can you do? I know you guys just launched the Milk House, which is essentially a bakery and a retail space near your farm um, mm-hmm. where people can come out and, exp- you know, take that tour and meet the cows themselves and, and get to know you and get to know your family. And like you said, it's a small shift, so you're probably going to be there or your team's going to be there. Um, that, I think, is just a really cool and interesting thing to talk to these small farmers and, and, and learn about how they're using technology and using that startup culture to push their brands forward and sustain in the 21st century. So, Michael, I guess last question for you. Um, this idea of anyone can visit. You don't have to be a restaurateur who has a special connection to the to the product. You're inviting anybody to come out. Yeah, it's I, I do the social media, and I try to respond to every sim- single inquiry. And uh, the goal will be to – we've got about 550 contiguous acres, and my vision – for the farm, which is seven miles away from where we process in Greenville at the milk house, as Catherine was explaining, is to turn that 550 acres into a park where people can come out and not find amusement, but just serenity and some of the simple things that uh, we feel like we're losing because of just the, the pace of life today. And so uh, we're definitely going to get into the, the term as agritourism, but it's it's really more about you want to bring your bikes out and ride on, you know, ride around and hang out and look at cows and go for a walk and we got it for you. And so that's What the kind goal. of timeline are you on for, for implementing that? It's never, uh, we're doing tours now. Okay. So anybody wants to come out, uh, we certainly, schools that use our products, uh, they come out, uh, but uh, if it's, if I'm, I'm, I'm holding my breath how many calls we may get on or, um, <laughs> yeah, I am the tour guide. So it's times, times so an issue. So don't overwhelm him, people, yeah, yeah. but. Yeah, it, it, it's, if people are truly interested, uh, we make the time because it means everything that we're relevant enough that they, uh, it's personal enough. They're using these products in their homes. If they got worries or concerns or just a keen interest, then we've got time for you. Michael Turley of Rolling Lawns Farms, thank you for joining us today. It's been an honor. And Catherine Clady of Sauce Magazine, thank you again for being here. Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWNU.